Welcome to the In the Limelight podcast. I'm your host, Clarissa Bird, and every week I bring you great information from fabulous people that I get to meet all over the world. I interview public figures, influencers, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, millionaires, and moguls that share their know-how, tipping points, pivotal moments, and life lessons. I promise you educative, empowering, and entertaining conversations with entrepreneurs that have a social conscience. Don't forget to find me on social. You can find me pretty much everywhere. Facebook, it's Clarissa Burt Official. Also sign up for my newsletter at clarissaburt.com. That way you can keep abreast of the In the Limelight media as it's coming out. And you'll be getting my weekly newsletter along with the In the Limelight magazine every quarter. Check out inthelimelightmedia.com. Hello and welcome to Bookish Meet the Authors. I'm your host, Nisa Kotu, and joining me today is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, to talk about her book, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Hi, Dr. Ellen. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too, and thank you for joining me today. So why did you write um, Rock Your Midlife and who is the book for? Well, I wrote the book for three reasons. Um, first of all, midlife needs a ton of rebranding. So, yeah. you know, when you put midlife in Google or you put it in thesaurus, what comes up is the wrong side of 40 or it's conjoined with crisis. And I'm here yeah, to so say that say crisis. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm like right in the middle of midlife and I am having the time of my life. And so I felt like you get this whole second adulthood where if you weren't happy with the first part, so it's like, you know, we get to 20 and then we've got like our twenties and our thirties and then we get to our forties and fifties, you can kind of transform yourself. And because people are living longer, we've got this whole second adulthood that we can have the time of our life. So I wanted to change the branding. My second reason was I have worked with hundreds of women at midlife. I've been working with women at midlife since the beginning of my career about 30 years ago. And um, I love this demographic, but I can only work with so many people as a coach. So I wanted to take yeah. all the wisdom that I gleamed and really put it into a book for people. Um, and then also I wanted to tell a little bit of my personal story. So I really transformed my own life. I was like on a trajectory that wasn't working for me. All my clients were getting great results. And I wanted to share what I learned myself and tell my story. So those are kind of my three reasons. And the book is really, you know, it's funny because I was, I was at yoga, my yoga class last night and my, the teacher had gotten a copy of my book and she was like, I love your book, but it should be like rock life for everybody. It's, it's for women in midlife. Um, but I found that a lot of people, I, I had an interview with somebody who was in their 20s the other day, a millennial, are finding it useful. I would say if you're at a transitional place in your life, maybe feeling a little stuck, don't really know how to transform. And I think like with COVID, right, we've had this like big stop sign where a lot of us have been like, oh my gosh, who am I? What do I want from my life? The beauty of the book is that you can enter it at any of the seven steps, which we'll, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it in detail that, and you know, transform from there. Um, so it's really for anybody who is like, you know, I'm feeling really stuck. I know there's something more for me. I'm not feeling kind of in alignment with what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. I don't know who I'm going to be when I grow up. I'm not as happy as I'd like to be. I'm not as healthy. It'll really help you to do that transformation that you're seeking. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I, um, when I was in my 20s, I realized that the career I was on was not the career path for me. And I realized, you know what? better I have discovered this now than later. I could stay in a career that I don't like because I realized I have 40 years or, or more or roughly of a career left. Do I want to be stuck in something that I already know I don't like or do I want to try to find something else? And 
but you're right. It's just, so that's that thing of, I think everyone out in, in the world we live in now, we're also becoming more self-aware of maybe it's time to transition. Maybe it's time for a change. Yeah. Lots. And I think with the, yeah, the midlife thing, I think is sometimes realizing that, you know, I'm not on my path and there, maybe there is less time in front of me than behind me. And so I'm kind of running out of time. I think when you're in your twenties, you feel like, oh my gosh, I could just be anyone. I could do anything. And then you get this place and realize I'm maybe I have to like really focus to make those dreams a reality. Yeah. But it's great that you made that transition yourself, that transformation realize, you know what I want to, I want a different career. Yeah. And I also hear, I think it's rare. And I think you're right about the um, changing the branding. Cause I, what you see in movies and TV shows is not what I actually hear people say about being in their forties. Very, very different. Um, but uh, you mentioned there are seven steps. What are the seven steps to transform and how can uh, entrepreneurs use this in their business as well? Because you- so, Yeah, so I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, I should say. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 12. I had a candle making business. So the book is helpful if you're an entrepreneur. And if you're, you know, just have a work for somebody else, that's okay too. So the steps are, the first step is authenticity. Mm-hmm. The second step is loving yourself. And the third step is energizing yourself. The fourth step is reprogramming your brain. The fifth step is empowerment. And the sixth step is rehab your relationships. And the seventh is enlighten yourself. So I'm happy to like, sort of, would you like me to explain each of the steps? Yeah. Because okay. I would say they all sound very easy, but I don't think they're easy <laughs> when it comes to doing it in practice. Yeah. Well, the first step, authenticity is really important. So because yeah. if you want to transform your life and be happier, feel more fulfilled, you've got to be yourself, right? Because what happens, and this was kind of my story, is like I was clawing up this ladder of success, but it was up against the wrong building. I was not in alignment of what, what I was supposed to be doing completely. Um, so in this chapter, I really help you to figure out, you're like, who am I? What do I love to do? What did I love to do as a kid? I give a lot of journaling prompts. I also direct people to online psychological um, tests that they can take to really understand what their strengths are. So you want to like play more into your strengths. What are you awesome at? And also understand your weaknesses. What are you not so great at? Because a lot of us, you know, not everybody's good at everything. So that's the first chapter. If you want to rock your midlife, you've got to be figure out, okay, who am I? And is the direction I'm going in, in alignment with who that person is? So that's the first step. The second step is loving yourself. And this was a huge game changer for me before I discovered this area called self-compassion, which is learning to treat yourself the way you would a good friend. I had so much self-loathing. It was like, I was carrying this not enoughness, not good enough, self-criticism, self-judgment in like this giant backpack. It was like a personal fit. I was literally a personal fitness trainer, hated my body, didn't think I was far enough in my career, getting more degrees. I was always on this self-improvement plan, not liking myself, thinking that, you know, when I get this thing, when I have the perfect body, I have another degree, um, you know, the right, the right marriage, everything is working, then I'll love myself. And the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I, you know, I never got there because I was always bringing this lack into my future. And that's what showed up. What changed it for me was learning this area of called self-compassion. And I discovered it because um, I was fortunate enough to have Kristen Neff, who is the leader in this field of of self-compassion, sort of the lead researcher pioneer. She was on my dissertation committee and she required me to learn self-compassion. So I started to be kind to myself instead of judgmental. I started realizing that everybody's imperfect. It's part of the human condition. We are all imperfect beings. And so I didn't feel so alone when I messed up. It was like, 
hey, this is just normal when things went wrong, understanding that this is just part of the human condition. So that made me, you know, feel better about myself. And then the last piece of the the self-love, self-compassion was being mindful, noticing when I was stressed, when I was struggling, instead of saying this is, you know, something's going wrong or I should figure this out or what's wrong with me, I took a pause and gave myself what I needed. So self-love will change everything. When you love yourself, you stop doing things that insult your soul. So it's super powerful. That was like the thing that changed everything for me and really helped me to make some major changes that I talk about in the book. And I explain exactly how to practice the self-love because I think a lot of people are like, sounds good, but I don't know how to do that. So the book will tell you how to love yourself. And the third step is energize yourself. So I have been a dietitian since 1993. I'm a board certified health and wellness coach. Um, I've been a personal fitness trainer. So I really take all of this body information and share the best way to eat, how to move your body, um, how to get enough sleep and rest, how to raise your energetic vibration, because we are energetic beings so that you have energy because if you're exhausted or if you have chronic disease, it's really hard to rock your midlife when you don't feel good. So that's a really key piece of, of the whole midlife puzzle and rocking it. And then I talk about how to reprogram your mind. So how to go from kind of feeling overwhelmed, stressed, kind of um, unfocused and confused to feeling really clear. And it's amazing how much work you can do on your mind by staying positive, by working on you know, your emotions, your feelings, being there for yourself, by learning how to work on your memory. So your memory is sharper. Again, the foods you can eat, there's things that you can do physically, which are going to help your brain eating more of a plant-based diet, getting more exercise, more sleep, more rest. Um, also changing your mindset. So this chapter is all about how you can reprogram your mind, which you can do, you know, you can teach a midlife mind new tricks. There's a lot you can do. The fifth step is empowerment. So feeling really confident, feeling good in your skin, not looking outside of yourself. Like you were sort of saying the grass is greener saying when I want to have that thing, or I'm going to feel good about myself or, looking to someone else for power. Um, I gave my power away for years. So I really talk about how to use that authenticity um, and really step into your own shoes and feel good about yourself. And also I talk a little bit about the law of attraction. So like attracts like, so yeah, like you've probably found that in your own career, right? As you put yourself out there, opportunities show up for you. So how do you harness that law of attraction so that you feel empowered, so you feel good about yourself, you feel strong, you feel confident. Because I feel like confidence is like one of the, the leading things that women at midlife want more of, right? They're not feeling as good in their skin, as confident as they'd like, because they're not being authentic. They might be experiencing some imposter syndrome, feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, feeling um, confident in who I am and in my ability. So that chapter is all about getting that empowerment, the confidence. And then we get to step six, which is rehab your relationships, because what happens is you become that butterfly, right? So you're like, I'm a butterfly, I'm flying around, I'm feeling yeah. good, I'm feeling empowered. But the people who are in your life still think you're the caterpillar. Mm, yeah, yeah. You see the trans- ever- trans- transformation. Yeah, have you experienced that in your own life? All of everything you said, even I feel like, yeah, I've, that's happened. This is this is part, I'm on that journey now, but it's especially that um, that being authentic. One of the things I think, that can be a struggle is you, I think the bit, all of this sure is that you're your toughest critic, right? You're the one who holds yourself back. 
being authentic, I think sometimes you're the one who censors yourself more about not wanting to be authentic because someone's going to judge you and someone's going to some, and you're the one who censors yourself the most instead of others. So it's always, a lot of it is basically for me, it sounds like, yeah, a lot of this, like the mindset, all those things need to be changed because a lot of it is you, you're, you get in your own way. It's so great. I'm so glad that you're mentioning that. And it's great to hear how you're feeling. So I think that the key piece is, well, the loving yourself is great because when you love yourself, you don't care so much what other people think about you. You want to be yourself. You want to do what is in your best interest. And the authenticity thing is so powerful because no one can tell you you're doing it wrong. Like if I'm showing up and I'm being myself, yeah. No one can say you're not being the best you. And I posted about this. Oh, so on you're the only the other day. People exactly. Yeah. I, and said, just like, what if you just said, I'm going to be the, my, my best self. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to show up as myself. And then you feel confident because no one can be you. There's seven and a half billion people on the planet, but no one can be as, yeah. as you as you. So that's that empowerment. But what happens with the rehab, your relationships is that when you show up differently, the people who maybe have known you for decades are going to think like they're going to see you still as the caterpillar. And yeah. so in this chapter, I give people specific. So the first thing is you let that good girl go. I think as women were programmed to, you know, be the good girl, to be the people pleaser. I've worked with so yeah. many clients to help them to stand up for themselves. And that's where like setting boundaries is the second piece. So setting some boundaries, creating a personal bill of rights of what you stand for. And then the third piece of the rehab your relationships is learning something called nonviolent communication, which is a way to get your needs met, a way to communicate with people so that you will get your needs met. So the, the relationship piece is hard. And I find a lot of yeah. people, the relationship piece can keep them stuck because they think, well, if I change, then this person won't like me or it's going to rock the boat. I'm going to lose friends. Maybe it'll hurt my marriage. And it kind of gets the, you know, fear comes up and it, like fear is the thing that will shut you down in a heartbeat. Yeah. So what fear is Fear is that negative voice that controls everything, I think. Yep. But what makes it sound to me is like, you kind of, kind of regress, right? Because it's always that struggle. Like when you grow up and people who saw, who knew you as a kid always see you as that little kid. And it's hard to break that image, but it's the exact same thing in in all stages. It's like, they've created this image of you in their mind and you're forever that person in their mind. So how to, to change that is hard because you, and also to not, I think another big fear would be, not the risk or no challenge would be not to digress, regress right back into that because that's how they see you. Yeah. And the role piece is really important because when we have this role, let's say like you were saying with, you know, maybe your parents or your siblings or old friends, we show up as that role and it puts a ceiling on what we can manifest and what we can do. And I think that's the thing in the entrepreneurs who are listening. It's like, if you think I have to be that good girl, well, what's going to happen when you want to, you know, move forward with your business. Like I had to have this conversation with my parents who were kind of like, didn't like a thing that I wanted to do. And like, you don't want to do that. And I'm like, no, I really do. But when it feels so empowering, when you come out and you say, no, this is me, this is not, you know, you may feel this way, but this is how I feel. And I think a lot of what we have to do is sit down and have those hard conversations and say, this is who I am now. I really need, need you to see that you don't need to necessarily approve of it, but I'm a butterfly now and this is what I do, but it is, it can be really hard. I think particularly for women because we've been socialized to be good all the time. So We're the rehab social- relationships is important. We've been told that we have to act a certain way, be a certain way. We like, for example, I think the biggest one is if a guy, if a man yells and screams that he's being powerful, if a woman does it, 
no, she's not powerful. She's just complaining. She's whining. She's a, a bit, whatever it is. Yeah. She's the B word, right? Yeah. So it's completely a different shift. So we're taught that we can't do that. We have to, we have to find a more graceful way, a more softer way. We have to, instead of going straight to the point, we have to find different channels of how to make it happen because we're programmed and taught that women can't do that or women can't be that way. Yeah. And it's true when, um, and I talk about this study in the book, Rock Your Midlife, about how the words to describe men are like, you know, strong and powerful. Those are good things for women. It's like, you know, pretty and polite. So we're, and, and women, you know, don't go for things the way men do because we're taught to be a certain way. And so but I don't think we have to use the, the B word, but we need to stand up for ourselves yeah. and we have to stand up for our relationships. And you may lose some people. I know I, when I shifted and changed, I lost some people in my life. But the thing is, then the, um, you know, the universe is going to send you more people in your life who are going to resonate with who yeah. you really are. I mean, there's a lot, there's billions of people out there in your life and you'll find people that you connect with. Um, based on who you are now. So that's step six. And then step seven is enlighten yourself. So that really is about your spirituality, your relationship with God or spirit, universe, whatever you want to call that, um, how to really develop a spiritual practice, how to find more passion, meaning, and purpose in your life, figuring out, you know, what am I here for? So that's that seventh step, which really, for me, it's kind of making that switch and feeling like you are a, um, a soul having a human experience versus like the soul is something I just do on like the weekends. I go to, you know, temple or yeah. church, but really feeling like it's part of my everyday life. And that's, you know, has been a big switch for me of connecting with my spirit, connecting with my soul, helping, you know, connecting with my intuition to help guide me so I can move forward and really be in alignment with what I'm here to do. That's amazing. And I was, I lost my train of thought. I was like, that's all sense. But um, it's, I had, I had a thought it all. So what I was going to say is all these steps, they feel like they fuel one another. One helps fuel the other one helps fuel the other one helps fuel the other. So you can see how each one connects and helps how each one is a, is a evolution of the other one in some form or another. And like how you, they're all needed in some way. Yeah. They all interconnect. So it's like, you know, I talk about, you've got to start with being yourself. Mm -hmm got to feel good about that self. You've got to love that self of who you really are. Stop with that critical voice, being okay with where you're at. Build that strong you know, foundation. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, and that gives you the, the, the self-care piece comes, fuels that energizing piece, right? So you're going to have, you know, an apple and a yogurt for a snack instead of a Snickers bar, yeah. because, you know, you love yourself. You're going to go for that walk or go to bed on time instead of staying up late you know, you're going to watch things like alcohol. You're going to be in those healthy relationships because you love yourself. Like when I started you feel like work, eating a piece of cake, you won't tell yourself, I can't do that because I have to be a certain, I have to look a certain way. I have to be a certain way. Enjoy the piece of cake. Yeah, gonna... You'll give yourself permission and you'll yeah. enjoy it and you'll probably eat less and you won't be yeah. eating it for emotional reasons. So yeah. also too, I work with a lot of emotional eaters. So like when you love yourself, and you're feeling good about yourself, you don't feel like I need to do the emotional eating piece. So they all really do feed in. It's about loving yourself enough to create a life that feels good to you to have the right people in your relationship to take relate relationships to take care of your body. So that you're right. I'm glad you mentioned that those all do really feed into each other. And then you start to see that, you know, you see that divine connection with yourself. It also fits back into the mindfulness of maybe what you're doing, like what you're eating, what you're doing, why do you crave this? What is happening in your life that's making you want, for example, 
why is it when you're something's happening, you crave chocolate? What, what caused, what is about chocolate that you crave? What is about the sugar that you always, is it comfort? Is it this? So you start to also be aware of what causes you to go towards the things that maybe aren't so good for you. So that way you have one to figure out the reason you can probably find out how to not go towards that. Cause you know why. Right. And then you can find out what do I really need right now? Yeah. So when I work with people around emotional eating, and I talk a lot about this in the book of how to deal with that is to, you know, notice, am I really hungry? Like, is this a physiological yeah. thing? And then instead of, if you're feeling usually people emotionally eat because they're dealing with the difficult. And so you notice, you know, I tell people to think about the acronym HALT, which stands for hungry, angry, or anxious, lonely, and tired. So if you're hungry and you eat, there's a feedback mechanism and you stop eating, right? But if you are angry, anxious, lonely, tired, bored, yeah, you're just going to keep eating because the, the chocolate's not going to, or whatever you're going for, isn't going to address that initial problem. And so what I find with my clients and for people told me who read the book is that as you start to feel good about yourself and your life, and you're excited about your life and you're feeling joyful and you have more love in your life, your body's feeling good. The emotional eating kind of just goes away and the way it normalizes because you're not eating. Like a lot of my clients would eat at the end of the day because they're like, oh, I'm working hard all day. I, I deserve, you know, fudge or a glass of wine. Nothing wrong with having that on occasion, but there was a sense of like, I deserve this at the end of my day. It's just this reward for my day. But when you're feeling about good about your life, you're not feeling like I need that thing. If you want to have it, that's fine. But you're not doing it because you feel like I'm compensating because I don't like my life. So when you start to like your life, that in itself really helps you to deal with some of the um, feeling good about yourself. It helps you deal with the emotional eating. Yeah. Now, so you said you were, you've been an entrepreneur for most of your life. Well, what is your journey? And uh, what are the lessons you learned and how do you incorporate them into how you decided to create this book? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, well, you know, I think being an entrepreneur is you've got to understand that you're going to fail. And I think that's a really hard thing for me. Mm -hmm. The lessons, the biggest lessons have been failure is, is just stepping stones on the road to success. And the bigger you get and the more you put yourself out there, you're going to find that people aren't going to like you. And I find like the bigger I grow my brand. So I'll have like, 65 five-star reviews in my book and like two, literally two one-star reviews, you know, and you vote, you can't focus on the negatives. We tend to, which are the, the ones that you want to focus on, which is the ones yeah. <laughs> you end up gravitating towards. Yeah. It gets it under your skin. So I would say the biggest things from entrepreneurial is you've got to be willing to take risks. Yeah. You've got to understand that failure is part of the road to success. I've you've changed the way how I look at failure. And yeah, that how is, do you look at failure? I say you don't fail. You either succeed or you learn. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause if you, if you, you know, if you are, if something's not going right, then you have to figure out, okay, so what is next for me to do? And there's always something you know, to learn when you fail. That's what yeah. makes you move to the next step and be, do better because you learn something. Right. And I think that too, to understand, think about like when I get to the end of my life, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, when you get to the end of your life, you're looking back at this moment, what do you want your life to have stood for? And I think that for me, I'm a lot more afraid of getting to the end of my life and saying, oh my gosh, I didn't help as many people as I wanted to. I didn't, you know, have the adventures I wanted to then, then the risks that come with stepping outside your comfort zone. Yeah, that's tough. Stepping outside your comfort zone is a tough thing to do, but I, you, but doing it in small increments helps it be easier to do the bigger stuff. It's the same thing as like doing a, a, a to-do list, right? When you have that math thing, you just start small, 
cut off a little bit. And the more you do it, it just breaks it down and makes it easier to accomplish. And it's also, yeah, it's also helpful to understand how your brain works. So I talk a lot in Rock Your Midlife about neuroscience. And so your brain isn't interested in you you know, having huge success and being happy. It wants to keep you safe and staying small and staying stuck is safe for your brain. So yeah. anytime you're going to step out of your comfort zone, like you were telling me, you know, up there that doing this podcast was stepping outside your comfort zone. Right. And it's like, if you're going to grow and you were like, okay, like go towards the fear. I think that is a thing, that thing that you are scared of. Like right now I'm working on a Ted talk. And that's like that thought of being up on a stage in front of, you know, I think 1600 eyeballs and doing a Ted talk is, is scary, but it's also using that and looking at fear as excitement. Cause it's very yeah. similar physiologically and doing those things that scare you. But also, you know, I think a big piece of entrepreneurship is what is your why? Yeah. You have to really look at why am I doing this? Like, what is the change that I want to see in the world and how am I contributing to that? For me, I think, it's all about showing people, particularly midlife women, that you can have joy and love and great health and fantastic relationships and really have a crazy, um, really fun life. Like I posted the other day about um, ice fishing and it was a kind of a crazy fun thing. And I'm learning the ukulele and I'm always growing and doing new, fun, interesting things. Yeah. It doesn't stop at 50. No, it shouldn't. You, you're not, you, you're not, I think if you stop at 50, it's like, well, what are you going to do for the next, I don't know, 50 years? If well, Right. Exactly. Um, what are your top self-care and productivity tips? Because we've been talking about all the steps, but now what are the things that can help, help those, help those things along? Yeah. I think that, um, Aside in terms of, yeah, certainly productivity. I think that one of the key things I'll give a, I'll give a, specific to really specific to-do lists are so powerful. So every day before, when I end my day, I write down what I need to do. And when I wake up in the morning, I look at it and say, what are the three things that I have to do today? And just focus on that. Like you were saying, small steps. Don't feel like I, cause my to-do lists are like, they're huge. Yeah. But like, what are the three things that you have to do today? Another thing that I really like to do is I like to work in blocks. So a lot of people like when I, I, I work, you know, as a nutritionist with people during the pandemic and they would work from like eight in the morning or six in the morning to eight at night all the time, not getting away from your computer. You're much more productive when you only do one, you know, only work for a block of like an hour to an hour and a half, two hours, yeah. take a break go back to your work, maybe get some fresh air, get some movement. Staying fueled is really important. Your brain runs on glucose. So if you are like just doing caffeine and like maybe a donut in the morning, have a good breakfast, fuel yourself wisely. Um, and, you know, again, don't be quite so hard on yourself. Um, that, that's a really important productivity tip. And, you know, again, those, the blocks are really important in terms of self-care, my diet's super important to me. So I eat a mostly plant-based diet. Um, I'm almost vegan, not hundred percent. I like to have, you know, we had cheesecake this weekend. It was my fiance's birthday. So, you know, I like to have fun, but most of my, you know, most of the time I'm eating mostly plant-based food, mm -hmm. getting lots of, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, um, plant-based protein. Um, I move my body every day. So I get at least an hour of exercise, usually outside walking, even though I live in Vermont and it is super cold. Um, and then also, you know, just self-care is always changing. It's like a moving yeah. target. So, you know, we always Everyone think about is like, different too. Yeah. And I think for me, self-care thing, what I'm loving now too, is 
you know, having some hobbies, things that light you up. Like right now I'm loving playing ukulele. It's just so fun. It's this sort of silly instrument. Do something that puts a smile on your face. Think about some things you did as a kid, like doing puzzles or coloring yeah. or playing an instrument. Um, but I also find it's really helpful to uh, create a list. So write down body, mind, heart, spirit, and relationships, and then write down how you care for yourself in each of those venues. And then when you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling a little tired, burnt out, stressed, I'm struggling or suffering, you pull the list out and you think, do you having a cup of tea and listening to music right now would really help me out right now. Calling a friend would really help me out right now. Sitting and coloring would really help me out. So it's sort of like creating a kind of a self-care kit. Sometimes I'll have people, I'll have my clients like have a box or a basket with all their stuff in it that they can just pull it out and give yourself what you need when you need to treat yourself the way you would a good friend. Yeah, I think that's about, a lot of people say treat yourself the way you want to be treated. Like, well, thing is that you're the toughest on yourself. So treat you treat, sometimes you're much kinder and more forgiving of a friend than you are of your own, of yourself and your own mistakes. But right, I know it's more forgiving. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just something to think about. Sometimes it's, it's easier if you find that you are harder on yourself than your friends. When you're going through something, maybe ask yourself, if I had a friend going through this right now, yeah. like let's just say you had a problem with a boss. So if my friend came to me and she said, oh my God, I just had this problem with my boss and they put me on notice or they're giving me too much work. And I said, I can't really do this. And they're giving me pushback. What would you say to your friend? Yeah, that's exactly what I, that's, I've heard that before. And that's something I have to you have to think about it's like well I've actually heard someone say treat yourself like you would a child that's hurt or afraid like how would you talk to that child because that automatically makes you have to you automatically want to be more compassionate and kind right yeah that's that's really helpful and know that um well self-compassion and that self-love it doesn't happen overnight but it's like a muscle the research really shows that as we practice self-compassion and I talk about exactly how to do it in the book and give people exercises, but as you treat yourself like a good friend, that muscle grows. Like I don't have that negative self-talk and I don't beat myself up the way that I used to be. I used to be incredibly hard on myself that, that total, you know, driven entrepreneurial, I'm still an entrepreneur, but now I'm much more interested in, um, being kind to myself and helping other people and what is fun and lights me up. But you, really you can grow it. And the thing that's cool about self-compassion is it works both ends of the spectrum. So the research shows that it reduces stress, anxiety, and depression, but it also helps to increase well-being, optimism, you know, overall happiness. So it works, you know, resilience, it works both ends of the spectrum. It's super powerful. So you mentioned your book. Now, where can people find your book and you? Those so are you, you posted yep, on yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find my book on Amazon. So it's just rock your midlife, seven steps to transform yourself and make your next chapter, your best chapter. And if you want to find me, I am the midlife whisperer. So if you just Google either Dr. Ellen Albertson or the midlife whisperer, I will pop up. I'm on Instagram. I love Instagram. That's, um, so I am there and I am um, Facebook. I'm Dr. Ellen Albertson. I also have a Facebook group, which is Dr. Ellen's mastermind. If you get the book, it comes with a journal that you can order. That's free. Oh. And you get on my list. And um, I also have a free gift on my website, which is the midlifewhisperer.com. That'll get you on my list and you can stay in touch with me or you can just uh, also email me from my website. So I would love to support you wherever you're at. And if you get the book, I'd love to know what you think. Thank you. Um, well, so thank you so much for joining me today at Dr. Allen. It was wonderful having you on the show. And I wish you continued success with your books and your now your TED Talk that you're going to be doing. Um, <laughs> Soon to be. And uh, thank you everyone for joining me and I'll see you next time on Bookish Meet the Authors.
Bye-bye for now.